Hey guys, question for you. Are you hustling? Welcome to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast with your hosts, James Marshall and Liam McRae, where we will be diving deep into the issues of modern masculinity, seduction, dating, lifestyle design, sexuality, psychedelics, you name it. This is the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Or are you healing? Right now, all the life coaches, business coaches, performance coaches, optimization coaches, and coaches, coaches, doing what they can to stay alive, right? So I'm, a, I'm on everyone's mailing list, as, as, as you should be when you're looking at your competitors. And everyone is going for the same marketing position at the moment, and I know I have been doing this as well, which is essentially to be asking you to look at what are you doing with your lockdown time? Are you wasting that time by, you can write the list, right? Netflix, jerking off, jerking off to Netflix, fucking rolling around your bed, eating Doritos or whatever it is that you're doing to fill your minutes and hours. And the suggestion from most coaches is that, of course, you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, you should be optimizing this time. You should be getting into an awesome workout routine. You should be figuring out what you're going to do with your career. If you've lost it, well, then you should be starting a drop shipping business or an online coaching business, or you should be doing something to hustle to make shit happen so that you're ahead of the curve when the doors open, something like that. Now, I don't disagree with those sentiments, right? That's not bad advice. Okay. So if you are stuck at home and you have just spent six hours a day playing video games and, you know, I don't know, getting in Twitter wars, is that what people do? I've never used Twitter then yeah, that's not the best use of your time. Sure, there's lots of other better things you could do. You could learn a language, you could learn a musical instrument, you could learn how to start a business. Those are all things that you could do. And uh, why would you not? Because that's better than wasting time, right? So I'm, I'm there with all these coaches on, on that perspective. And I will no doubt in a week release another video where I talk about that as well, how to optimize your time, how to not waste this very odd and unique time in history when the world pauses, which I don't know about you, but for me at least, one of the benefits, I know there's a lot of downsides to this, but I don't have a sense of FOMO anymore. Like, I don't, I'm not missing out on anything <laughs> because nothing's happening. And so I know myself and Alex and the, the crew when we're, when we're in like really intense, crazy cities like New York, you don't really feel like staying inside writing marketing copy. We want to be out there experiencing life. And, and that, is a, that is part of modern life, right? You're scrolling through people's Instagrams and you're like, oh, that lifestyle, I want that one. I'm missing out on something. Right now, no one's really missing out, depending on, of course, it, not like uh, Madonna said, this is not the great equalizer. I've got a fucking mansion with 30 acres, luckily. Yeah, it's not the great equalizer. Many people have... have an awful situation and other people have a pretty good situation. So I don't, I'm, I don't want to be the person that's saying that we're all in the, same, in the same boat. But we are all in the same boat in the sense that things have stopped, right? So no one can really move too far ahead of where they are. Uh, I mean, I'm, there probably are some people, but most people cannot. So what this time does give us, aside from some time to think about what's next, and that's definitely what I'm doing, I have to, right? My business has totally changed. I was a live coaching business and now I'm not. So of course I'm moving into being an online coach more, more than I used to be and uh, starting an organic farm and doing other stuff, right? So yeah, of course you will need to be able to pivot and use your time effectively. But what this period in history gives you or forces you to have the opportunity to have is some time for healing, some time for introspection, 
some time for allowing yourself to feel certain emotions that maybe you've never allowed yourself to feel. And these will not all be positive ones, right? This is not, this is not a motivational video in the sense of like, I want you to be positive all the time and hustle and be productive all the time and, and always see the silver lining on every shitty cloud. What I want to look at here is what about the other parts of being human, such as being sad, such as uh, being lonely, such as looking into your past, maybe into your childhood, and looking at traumatic events or patterns that were given to you, probably by no fault of your own, maybe by your parents or by your, your social conditioning. That's why I think that you should, yes, hustle, for sure. Mind if we head up into the forest over there? Yeah, sure. Hustle. <laughs> Get shit moving. Get buff. Get ready to, to approach girls when you can. Learn skills that you haven't had time to do, for sure. And I, I advocate that and I will be teaching that on my upcoming Lifestyle Design Academy. But I will not only be teaching that. I'm not just a hustle monster. And there is, there is this like addiction to hustle culture and, and hustle porn, right? Because you probably know what I mean by that, right? Like Gary Vanderchuk is hustle porn. He's awesome. Like I, I, I check in on him every now and then and every time I'm like, where does this dude get the fucking energy to do this? You know, he, he is just so positive, so on it. His information is good. It remains to be good. How's that, how's that, how's that going to work for you going up hills? Alex is all right. It's like, for, you know, anytime you look at one of these Steadicam videos and it's me gliding through city streets, there's always someone, and it's right, it used to be Alex and now it is again because we don't have a media team anymore. There's always some guy who has to go do this for uh, an hour. So, you know, let's get some, uh, send some, send him a pizza. I don't know. Anyway, hustle porn, right. So there's all sorts of these coaches, right, where they, they put out a lot of information. Some of it's very good, some of it's shit. Some of it's all, all hype and, you know, glamour. And some of it's very good. So that's up to you to discern what's useful and not useful. But it's an, it can be as addictive as any other form of, of high stimulation um, content in that you get a little hit, right? You watch a Gary Vee video or, or some other optimized, super positive dude, and you're like, yes, that's it. I should do that. And I, I feel good, right? I feel, and I get a little spike of adrenaline or of dopamine with the feeling that, okay, I'm doing something. But often you don't, right? Like, and even Gary will talk about this. He'll be like, stop watching content and start executing. So it's not, I'm, I'm not singling him out in any way, but there is a tendency to absorb this kind of information and you probably do it with me, right? Like people binge my stuff or any other coach that they like and they have a feeling by absorbing this information that they are making progress. And they are making progress in some sense. You're rewiring your mind, you're maybe questioning old beliefs and replacing them with better ones. There's, there's lots of, obviously, there's a huge amount of value in getting good information, good wisdom, internalizing it, processing it, and then executing on it, right? If we don't execute on it, then it just becomes theoretical knowledge and you become an armchair uh, hustler. But I can tell you because I'm one of those guys, right? I'm a positivity, motivational mentor coach dude. It puts you in a strange position where you can't show weakness. Right? You're not actually allowed to do anything other than positive things right? in terms of what you're presenting to your audience. Because I think most, most 
Guys, does it, firstly, does anyone notice that I say because in a really weird way? You do, right? I, I know. I don't know why I do that. It's, it's because, because, because. Not sure why. It's just that one word, it just comes out like that. I'm aware of it. I'll try to change it, but it's going to keep coming out because I'm a weirdo. You're, you're put in this funny position where you, you have to always be like hustle, positivity, grind, you know, don't waste time. I don't have time for any of your, you know, insecurities or any of your issues. It's like, that's all excuses. Let's cut through the bullshit. Let's get to the point. Let's hustle. Let's grind. Let's get shit done. Let's execute. Let's make fucking money. Let's get increase all metrics and blah, blah. you know, that kind of shit. You just have to do that forever. And that's not really true. I don't think so for most most coaches out there because I presume they have bad days. I presume they feel depressed sometimes. I presume they try to do something and then it fails and they feel shit about themselves because they did their best and it didn't work. Right, so all of these things. I presume they have childhood issues or, or, or things in their past that they probably need to clean up and that still affect them today. I assume this because I know that's true for me. And what I want to talk about more in detail today is this essentially is about healing and therapy, right? It's, it's, this is a time where, yeah, okay, you've got time to do stuff that you should have done, but I would say just as importantly, and maybe for a lot of guys out there, much more important, probably much, much more important, is to use a good chunk of this time to actually heal yourself from wounds that you have either created yourself or have been created in you. <laughs> by other people or circumstances because if you don't clean that stuff up it will remain with you throughout your life in some form or another and it will tend to calcify like as we get older and we and we tend to get less adaptive and more stuck in our ways our histories start to get ground in like at first they're like a line in the water and then a line in the sand and then a line carved in rock and then it becomes you know these these habit patterns uh, become very rigid. You know that because your parents have them, your grandparents had them, Old pe older people around you have them. They have these habits that they don't seem to be able to shift anymore. And you can see, probably looking at your parents, you have this clear issue, dad, mum, that I can see if you just did something, anything, like talked to somebody about it, went and meditated for 10 minutes, took some MDMA or something, that you'd probably get some kind of breakthroughs. And that can be frustrating when you're a person that wants to evolve and seeing you know, your parents that you love being unable to evolve even if you, even if you offer to help them. I know that, that's been a case for me. So I wanna to say today that firstly, it's okay to feel sad, especially now. It's okay to acknowledge that you're lonely, right? Like if you're alone, uh, like I'm very good at being alone. Before, before the, I'm actually less alone now than I was before the corona thing ironically before before all this went down I was here by myself for six weeks literally by myself I mean I saw Augusto and that that counts for a lot for sure and I have have a cat which I don't like cats but now I do because I need the affection so like I'm very good at being alone I'm, I'm not an extrovert I don't need people around me all the time to you know to express myself like some people do however it doesn't mean I don't feel lonely right it doesn't mean that being alone is the thing I want to do for the rest of my life and for a lot of you out there, you're alone in an apartment or you're, or more or less, you know, okay, you might have a housemate, but it's some dude that, or girl that you've sort of ended up with in your college group house or, you know, 
it's, it's not necessarily your best friends. I'm lucky because I have very close friends and collaborators living with me now, but they're not necessarily your best friends, not necessarily the greatest loves of your lives or you know, close family. People are just put in pods and units all around the world and they have to deal with it. And that leads you to feel lonely because we're humans. We need people around us that we, not all the time for everyone, but in general, we need people around us that we love and care for and can communicate with. And a lot of people don't have that right now. And so what I, what I think would be a better use of this time than just beating yourself up because you're not achieving enough, right? Because some people can't achieve fuck all right now. Like if your reality is that you had a job, you worked hard at it, and now your job is gone, right? Like that happened to my staff. I had to fire, or at least temporarily fire, half my team. That's not their fault. It's not my fault. You know whose fault it is. Ask David Icke. Don't ask David <laughs> Okay, it's the fault of some little microbe that has splintered around the world and has caught, wreaked havoc on, on economies and communities and led to millions and millions of people being laid off and 100,000 plus dying and all sorts of other shit things. So allow yourself to feel those things, to feel sad, to feel robbed, to feel cheated, to feel that this is unfair to feel like all that work you put in for all those years and that thing, which has now just been ripped away from you, that that's a, that's a tragedy, a personal tragedy for you, right? And, it, and, and also don't feel guilty that your situation is not as bad as other people's, right? Like I, I, I'm struggling with that too, because I, you know, when I have days where I'm like, oh, this sucks, I lost, you know, my business is tanked and, you know, I'm away from people that I want to be from, I'm like, well, I've got it fucking sweet compared to everyone in India or you know the 20 million people in the United States who just lost their jobs or the people that are fucking dying right or the people that are directly living you know have had family members or close friends die I haven't had that happen in this situation so you can have a bit of survivor guilt where you're like oh I shouldn't I shouldn't feel any negative stuff because other people have got it worse now I'm, I'm not saying don't have empathy for other people and don't if you can help others you know you can donate money or you can help in some kind of way or you can get on one of those things where you talk to a granny in a, in a um, retirement home uh, to make her feel like someone cares, like, yeah, sure, don't be selfish. Give if you can and in ways that you can. But at the same time, you need to allow yourself to feel your own personal tragedy. And not just now, right? I want, this video is, okay, it's happening in the middle of the corona crisis in 2020. But I would hope that in five years, I don't know, <laughs> I mean, hi there five years from now. Please tell me what, like, the very old, the very young, and the very infirm taste like when you put them in a smoothie because that's the dystopian reality you guys are living in now. I don't know what it's going to be like. Probably not that bad. But my hope would be that you could watch this at any point and, and, and even if that means taking a weekend to yourself to actually maybe for the first time acknowledge your own pain, acknowledge your own sadness and loneliness, acknowledge the fact that your parents fucked you up in some way, which most of them did, right, because they weren't given the perfect handbook on how to do this, you should, right, because hustling and pushing and working does not solve those things, right, it solves other things, right, it solves poverty sometimes, you know, if you get, the, get it right, it solves a feeling of like not, not achieving things, like of course hustling and hard work and smart work is very important, but you don't hustle your way through therapy, right, you don't, you don't grind your way through a, uh, a meditation retreat. You take time to sit with yourself and when and if necessary to sit with a therapist of some sort 
and go through things. And, that, and that's what I really recommend that you do. Recently I did an interview with Zan Perion. It was a really wonderful chat and uh, we liked each other a lot. Yeah, I guess you guys could tell and, and we intend to hang out when we can. And we talked about a lot of stuff, but one, there was one thing that when I was watching back the video later, I thought, I think I need to expand on that a bit because I think it, the way we presented that was a bit too blunt and maybe not kind enough. Uh, I don't think it was untrue what we said, but I think it wasn't as nuanced as it could be. And we were talking about, you know, I was saying, I'm, I'm fucking sick of answering this question. How do I get over the fear of talking to women? It's like, in, an, in a nutshell, I paraphrase myself, was, you know, I'm like, at some point you realize you either are going to do it, you, like you must do it. There's, because the reason that question frustrates me, and let me clarify that, so when, you know, every day someone writes me the question, what's the best way to get over approach anxiety? Or like, you know, how, like as, because what they're asking is, the problem is in the question. I don't have an answer. Right? I don't have a, I, I don't have 47 words I can say to you that will solve that issue for you. And nobody does. Because there is no piece of information, right? There is no, there is no hidden secret that is being withheld unless you pay X amount of money, right? When, when, when men come to me on workshops, when they used to, back in the day, when they, when they, when they did, I, they did once, people used to pay me a lot of money to come and help them through this, the old, back in the 2019s. Um, when people come to me and, you know, on the workshop, essentially they're saying when they rock up on the first day, how do I, how do I get over the fear of women? Because they're there and they haven't talked to women. And I don't give them an answer. I give them some tools, right? So there are definitely tools that can help using meditation tools, using re mental reframing tools, using physiological anchors. And there's lots of other, there's lots of things I can do that will assist me. Yeah, that'll make it easier. But I don't give them any answers. I just take them out and walk them through the process, right? So yeah, on the first day one of a workshop, I teach them some meditation that will help them to calm down a bit and to be more present, more in flow, more in their body. Cool. And then we just go and we do it. You know, and if I have to, I, you know, I'll physically make them do it one way or another. And that's the answer. You know, the answer is, how do I get over my fear of women? I'm like, let me show you. Come over here. Yeah, 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 maybe. He's like, what are you going to do? Just give me, see that? Okay, come, come, stay. Okay, see that woman over there? Go and talk to her. But how do I get over my fear of, I'll, I'll show you. Just keep walking, keep walking, keep walking, walking. Now, open your mouth now. Say hi. That's the answer, right? Like, and then he does that on a workshop a hundred plus times or more, and then he, get, he knows the answer then, right? The answer is, how do I get over my fear of women? Oh, I go, I go through the process of approaching women and then I see what the fear is like and I see how it affects me. And then I, I learn to process it and it becomes, then it becomes something I can do, right? So that's what I meant by that. Like, that's why I'm sick of answering the question because the, the question is wrong, right? It's not a question I can answer. It's a, something I can show you how to do or you can, or you can just force yourself to do it in whatever way that you can. And that's when I, when I said, you know, really at the end of the day, it comes down to that there are some men who just know that they must. Right? And that was the case for me because I knew that if I, it was just so abundantly clear, the difference in life was be way better if I could meet women that I wanted to, way worse if I couldn't. So therefore I had to do this thing and it was uncomfortable and scary and so on, but I, I went and did it, and then I'm like, oh, that felt, uh, whatever it felt like, I got rejected or I didn't, or she liked me or she didn't like me, and, and then I started to see, okay, the answer to how do I get over my fear of women is to go and talk, say hello to a woman and feel that fear and then process it, right? The other thing that we were talking about 
well, this led into this conversation was we were talking about childhood trauma and I think Zan said something along the lines of prior to recent history nobody had a good childhood right and so if, you, if we think about that in terms of what we would perceive to be a good childhood two functioning well uh, adjusted humans decided to have a love child born only of pure love they had all the child had all the its physical emotional needs met uh, it had all the opportunities that it could ever hope for. You know, one of those uber childs who, you know, they play Beethoven to in the, in the cot and then, you know, they, they teach it three languages from the age of five and, and uh, you know, they allow it to learn in its own way and, you know, like <laughs> whatever, all of these modern parenting tools and the parents love each other and, and everything works, right? And then so the child from zero to seven, which apparently is when most of your traumas happen, <laughs> or most of the wiring happens, it's all perfect, so you get to come out as this golden child that then experiences the best out of life, doesn't carry any baggage, uh, and, is, and then is able to, you know, pass on this wonderful, loving thing into the next generation, right? So Zan's point was that nobody until recent history, and how many people had that out there? Anyone in the comment? Uh, I would like to, I would just like to see what you look like. Like, do you, do you shine in a special, different way? Like, is your cock bigger? And what is, I want to meet one of those people, but I haven't yet. So his point was that, prior to modern history where let's say at least health was health and and safety were a thing that you could be assured of but but of course that doesn't happen in most places in the world does it right now it doesn't you know really what we're looking at there was 1950s 60s 70s in the western world when employment was high when economies were, were growing when populations were lower when opportunities were everywhere i remember my mother saying you know, back in the 70s, when you wanted a if you wanted a job, you just went out and got a job that day, right? Like there was no there was no, there was no such thing as unemployment. Like it was just like, do I like this job or not? Man, nah, I'll, I'll go and get another job, right? That was the situation in Australia in the 70s. If you were you know if you were intelligent and able to work, then you could work. Right now, that's not the case. Plenty of intelligent, hardworking people out there who can't work. Okay, and sure, Corona will pass, but the unemployment won't. You know companies will stay lean, like people will be cautious, consumers will spend less. Uh, whether or not it's going to be a recession or a global depression, time will tell, but uh, things are going to be tough for a lot of people for a long time, and maybe for, for a lifetime for some people in some places. So the point that Zan was making was that, okay, back in the day, like we're talking tribal societies, early agricultural societies, feudal societies, childhood sucked because firstly, you will you had a 20 to 50 percent chance of just dying at birth anyway so that wasn't very good to start with you didn't even get to start fairly likely your mother might die in in childbirth because that happened a lot back in the day also very likely that you or at least one or more of your siblings would get horrendous diseases things like a toothache was a death sentence things like a you know an infected abscess was a death sentence because they didn't have antibiotics or they didn't understand germs and then of course periodically plagues, warfare, raids, natural disasters, crop failures, droughts, all that stuff would just roll through your environment definitely at least once in your own lifetime. So you would experience situations where, you know, a disease would wipe out half your, your village or where the crops would fail and people would starve or where the, the king came, to, came in, sent his men in and said, 
I would like every man from the age of 14 to 40, here's your stick and please run at those knights because that'll slow them down for about eight seconds which will allow us to send a catapult of burning pitch over into you and them which might mean that I get to take a little bit more of Wessex. <laughs> oh, that's how I imagine. That's how I imagine kings did it back in the day. So there was all sorts of fucking nasty horrors that you had to deal with. So therefore, a happy childhood was not really an option in the way that we would understand it today. And then the extrapolation we made from that was, well, how did people deal with that? They just fucking did, right? They didn't, they didn't get to lie on therapist couches. They didn't get to whinge about it on, uh, on Instagram. They didn't have a government giving them handouts or, or giving them healthcare, right? So none of that shit existed. It was the libertarian paradise that, every, that you libertarians want. Everyone for themselves, look out for yourselves. And, uh, uh, you know, if the village starves, then cool, the village over the hill will move in next spring and take it over, right? So life was hard, brutish, short, and people just dealt with it. But the question of how did they deal with it? We don't really know that, right? We, I mean, in recorded histories, we, we may know some experiences, but remember that most recorded history is recorded by the elites. And, and recorded history only goes back several thousand years or depending, you know, China, some 5,000 years and Mesopotamian tablets that showed taxation records from wheat around from 5,000 years ago. But we didn't get to a diary from, a, you know, a peasant in working on the Nile in 6,000 BC talking about how they felt about their childhood. We don't know, right? So we don't really know how they dealt with it. But I would say the, the, the guess that people just process things and, and just had stiff upper lip and were like, cool, all right, sister, sister died, uh, you know, mother raped, father off to war, you know, cool, I'll just, I'll just I'm a man in, in, the, in the like primal sense of the word and I will just get through that and I will, and I will not only survive that, but I will, be, I will be a warrior about that. How do we know that even happened? I would guess that things happened in all sorts of ways. There's uh, one of my favorite books, and you will ne- and people are like, how to, how to, no. One of my favorite books is called Plumes and Arrows. And I, I found this book when I was lying on John Keegan's floor one day, because John Keegan didn't get a couch until last year. He, every year I would go to visit Keegan, and be like, do you think I should get a couch? I'm like, yes, get a couch. But I don't, you know, I don't, I haven't sat on the couch. I don't watch TV. I'm like, you know, I just like to get up and go for a walk and have tea. I'm like, yeah, but other people, like, if you want to bring a girl home, which I know you do, I've seen you do it, and I know you've managed that without a couch, but it's a good place to transition to sex, and it's also a good place to hang out with your buddies. And, you know, Keegan was like, yeah, yeah, and, then, and he'd think about it, but then he wouldn't do it. Last year, he got a couch. Looks nice. We hung out on it. Works. However, a couple of years ago, I was lying on the mattress on the floor in Keegan's place, and I was stoned, and I... um. And I just reached over and pulled, there was a bunch of books, and I pulled this book out, Plumes and Arrows. And I started reading it, and I got sucked in. And, and then he gave it to me. So it's, it's here at the farm, signed by John Keegan. Uh, he got it off some dude left it there. He never looked at it. And what it was, was a book written by a, I think it was a geologist, an Australian geologist or, or surveyor or some kind of scientist, who went to Papua New Guinea, uh, which is the, one of the big islands north of Australia. And what had happened was... Most tribes, right, if we look at like original tribes, tribes that were Stone Age tribes, tribes that have been untouched by Western civilization, that haven't been influenced by them, most of those had been discovered from the, you know, from the age of exploration, which is actually the age of conquest, right? So from when the, the Portuguese 
in the whatever is it 13 14 15th century give or take 100 years i'll have to check my history uh started going out the colonial powers the brits the dutch the uh you know the germans the the russians in in their own in through siberia like all of the colonial powers started expanding and meeting the new world right so meeting tribes that had not come in contact with gunpowder with germs with science with you know the written word with god they had their own gods but that wasn't the right one apparently so when people came in contact with him most of the time that led to the end of those civilizations right so you know uh, i can't pronounce the name of the of the peruvian emperor but you know when the was it cortez or one of those spanish cunts <laughs> conquistor cunts one of those spanish conquistor cunts who came into peru and then you know murdered the royal family, stole all their gold, replaced all their pagan beliefs with Catholicism, and then wiped out the cultures, essentially. Right? So pockets of those cultures exist, or they were superimposed. Christianity was superimposed over paganism. But the old world was, was more or less lost. Now, surprisingly, still to this day, there are some very few uncontacted tribes uh, that still live in those scenarios, and most of those had left, thankfully, alone to just do their thing, because people realise that that's a precious link to the past and we don't want to fuck it up, except for the Christian missionaries who just keep doing it. I, when I was in Peru, uh, I met, still met Christian missionaries who, who were trying to go to get into the center of the Amazon to find the last of the uncontacted tribes just to fuck their last, the last pristine cultures up with their smug, arrogant imperialism. Fuck you. Uh, and I said that to them. So anyway, and, they, and then they said, God bless you. And I went, wow, you guys really believe in this shit. It's so, it's amazing. It's so strong. Wow, fuck you. Um, God bless you. Wow, you guys, you really believe this. It's so powerful. Believing in something is so powerful. I will never do it. Anyway, Papua New Guinea, however, was not uh, contacted until 1940-something. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was right, or 30-something, but it was basically around the time when the Japanese invaded during the Second World War and then the Brits and the Australians were coming in and they discovered, and I don't know if my history is exactly right, but it's right within 10 years. Uh, they discovered in this volcanic, uh, like, what's the opposite of a plateau? Like, basically an old volcanic basin, which was very, very big. And there was one million people living there. One million. And something like 5,000 separate tribes and, and languages, right? So a very dense amount of people living in a, a, a relatively small amount of land, but it was very, f it was fertile land in the sense that, so they were gardeners, they, they were garden sweet potato, but they were mostly hunter-gatherers. And there was a lack of protein. So you know how they supplemented their protein? With the neighbor's brains. <laughs> so that's where, you know, cannibalism was, theoretically was because there wasn't enough protein to sustain people. In any case, what happened was when the missionaries and the scientists and the soldiers started moving into this area, they got, it, they got to see what tribe, you know, what was it, cavemen or Stone Age, Stone Age tribes actually lived like, right? And was recorded, photographed, meticulously recorded. So we got a snapshot for a brief period of time before they fucked them all up um, on what it was like for tribal societies. Now, what the most important thing that came out of that was there was no one, one way for tribal societies to live. Yeah, one of the uh, very reductive theories that uh, people who like to talk romantically about cavemen or Stone Age people or tribes, you know, ancient tribes, they tend to gloss over the negative aspects, right? Because the idea was that humans 
in the Garden of Eden, not the religious one, but like the, in our natural state, our natural state is to be polyamorous because uh, back in the Stone Age, people didn't know whose gene, we didn't understand that if you fucked someone that that made a baby. We couldn't, we, we couldn't figure that out, okay? And the whole tribe brought up the family, so therefore it was a free-for-all. Everyone just fucked everyone, no one was jealous, no one was possessive. There were no possessions back then because agriculture hadn't been invented, so therefore there was no storable grain, so therefore there was no wealth that could be transferred from generation to generation. So whatever you had, you had to share, because if you had a mammoth, you couldn't store it, you had to eat it, so you shared it with everyone. If you had a woman, well, you couldn't keep her in a locker in a corral and build a harem, you just shared her. So everyone fucked everyone, except not the kids, I guess, like they did it in the right way, just like in consensually, but everyone was just having a cool like orgy all the time. And therefore, that's the way humans should be. And the reason why we're so unhappy today is because we're not following our natural instincts of being polyamorous, right? So that, that is the, in a nutshell, the justification, the like rationalization why polyamorous say that that is our natural state, right? Whereas monogamists would say the opposite. I question the idea of humans having a natural state at all. Right? We are so incredibly adaptive. Yeah, we, we all have the same biological needs. We do need love and affection and sex and food and water and shelter, yes. But the other thing that we desperately seem to need is, is a sense of meaning. And when we place meaning over something, right? Right now this is a stick. It is a piece of a tree. I can figure that out by something. But when, if I start thinking about why does a tree exist, I'd start placing meaning on this, right? Because then I'm like, Okay, this, this thing here is, is amazing. It just grows out of the ground. It couldn't just grow out of the ground for no reason, so it has to, there has to be a reason for it. So that's because the great god Zanuhutamaha, uh, you know, was taking a piss one day, and then, you know, the, the, the cheeky fox came over and bit him on the butt, and then a certain type of jizz came out, and then trees were invented. And then now we, that's what we believe. That sounds absurd. It is. It's the same as every other religion that ever existed. It's all absurd. But humans seem to need this. We need this sense that there is meaning, right? Because, because we don't like feeling like we're just another animal in the forest and that we, we're born, we procreate, and then we die because that makes us feel not special. Humans do seem to have a need to feel like we, we, we matter, we're significant, that there is a higher purpose and higher meaning. And as I, as I talk about with my missionary uh, experience, having a clear higher purpose that you believe in 100% is a very effective tool often, right? Because it means that you don't have to question anything, right? That, motherfucker was prepared to trek through the Amazon jungle braving snakes, spiders, malaria, pumas. He was prepared to do that and then for, for weeks to arrive to try and find a tribe that might hopefully stick an arrow through his head and then to sit them down and, and patiently for as long as it takes destroy their culture and replace it with, with Christianity. Same goes for all the other religions. Yes, I know I all usually bring up religions, uh, Christianity. Yeah, they're all the same. They're all the fucking same. They're not all the same, but they're, they're mostly basically the same. And what, and like I would, you know, imagine if, imagine if someone said, oh, can you go and chat to those guys in the Amazon? Uh, they've got like an interesting fruit. Can you just go and check it out? I would be like, eh. and now this isn't a good example because I have gone to the Amazon, but it's like, if I had no particularly compelling reason, I'd get halfway through and I'm like, ah, oh, fuck this, I'm going home. Right, but that, that excruciatingly strong belief will make that person do it and then they will su probably succeed or die trying. And then if they die trying, someone else will do it and succeed. Where was I? What am I even talking about, guys? I'm, you know, when I start getting into talking about history, that's all I want to talk about because it's so fucking fascinating.
Anyway, plumes and arrows. The point being that when they discovered these Stone Age societies, the difference in culture from one valley to the next was unbelievable, right? Because even though you would have a tribe here, there was these huge mountain ranges. It might only be a kilometer away, but, they, but it was so uh, hard to get through that they may never have contact with a tribe on the other side, even though, they're, even though they're biologically almost exactly the same because at some point a couple managed to get through and start another tribe, right? So they're essentially the same people, similar language groups, well, maybe, yeah, similar language groups, but, and this, these are some of the, the ones that when I was reading this high on Keegan's floor, I was like, oh my God. It was the, the naturalist or the, the, the narrator was talking about how in this tribe, the most common way for people to have polyamorous relationships was for a man to get a bit jealous of another man and go with his stone axe and stick it through his skull and then take his wife. Right? And he was, in, he was interviewing a woman there and she was like, my first husband was, I loved my first husband. My second husband wanted me, so he killed my first husband. My third husband killed my second husband. Like this woman had just been passed on from murdered husband to murdered husband. Right? And that was, the, that was the common thing of that tribe. The next one over had, the, had a tradition of widow strangling, right? The tradition was that when your husband died, your oldest son had to strangle you to death. That was the tradition, right? And, and, and that was it. Then another tribe had the belief that all women are evil, like truly, like witches, right? They can't be trusted in any way. They're, they're, they're always trying to, to use dark magic on you. Red pill, anybody? They're all, you know, they're truly evil from the core. And he noted that this led to very weird things where it was shameful to have sex with a woman, right? So instead, the men would fuck the little boys to keep the like pure and good essence of men in the tribe and then, you know, shamefully sneak off to fuck a woman. And the psychological effect of this, aside from being raped as, as a boy by your uncle or whatever, like probably not good for you, was that the entire tribe of men were, had anxiety, like clinical anxiety all the time. Right? And, the, and huge levels of violence, outbursts, like it was a, v a completely dysfunctional society which just kept on going for how long, maybe hundreds of thousands of years since when that idea had been implanted into the culture, right? So what, what this says and what, what, what this very odd, and I'm not, this is not about Papua New Guinea, this is about that that was this one place where a whole lot of tribes were still operating as they had for, uh, you know, into, into the mists of time, and the truth was there was no one way of doing things. And people were not okay, right? The fact that they lived in a naturalist state, but there was often murder and cannibalism and infanticide and rape and all these things happening that were cultural or cultural plus from the pressures of the environment because there was a lot of people in this small amount of land. And so they were more warlike because they were closer to each other. Whereas if you look at the Australian Aborigines, they, are, they were much less violent because they had way more space, right? Like there was only, I don't, I think it was about a million Aborigines existed before white settlement. I need to check that, but they were living in, in the Australian subcontinent, which is massive. Whereas the same amount of people were living on a small island in Papua New Guinea, which meant they were, had to be more violent because they were fighting for resources. Whereas the Aborigines could afford to be more peaceful. They, they may not come in contact with another tribe for a year, right? And, and when they did, they would, they had rituals of like very interesting rituals of and this was different tribe to tribe, of course, but there were, in, there were interesting rituals where the two tribes would come together and then they would actually swap women and have ceremonial orgies that, and then women would be traded, which was to you know, keep the genes from 
but they didn't, I guess they didn't specifically know about genetics, but you know, it meant that fresh blood was coming into new tribes and that there was a, that it was a way of bonding two tribes together, right? So all sorts of fucking nut stuff happened back in the stone age, right? It wasn't just a tribe sitting around and being peaceful and living in contact with the na- land and having no childhood issues because uh, even though they faced death and famine or whatever, they were warriors and they had a way of moving through that, right? So what I'm saying <laughs> in a very <laughs> long and roundabout way, which totally went off track, was that I think I was being too harsh or was Anne and I were being maybe just too we're just like not nuanced enough when we're talking about this, that it's a, it's a pussy thing to try and unpack your childhood, right? That it's, that back in the day, people just dealt with it and they, and they dealt with it and then they moved through life and they were, and then they were warriors instead of, you know, whinging and whining. Sure. You know, people were, people weren't, once were warriors in a, in a way different way. Most of us probably couldn't survive if we were dropped into, you know, plague ridden medieval Europe or, you know, any other point in history, we probably wouldn't make it very far, right? Because we weren't tough enough, okay? So toughness, sure, people were tougher, or they weren't, and they died. But things have changed now, because even just from life expectancy, I would imagine that, yeah, sure, there were tribes in the day where your father was, a, was an excellent avatar of what a warrior was. You went out and you hunted with him. You went to war with him. You faced death in the face. You saw it, or you inflicted it. And then you were brought back to the tribe and they had a ceremony. You know, they stripped you, they covered you in lamb's blood, they chanted to you, this warrior has returned. He has taken his enemy's blood. He, he is a man now. He, you know, and the women would wail and, and, or like if, you know, one of the tribe's member was killed, the women would come and, and cry together and they would process the grief as a tribe, right? Like all that stuff, no doubt happened. And I think there has been recordings of that kind of stuff. And that's, an, and that's I've talked to returned soldiers who talk about the pain of returning from war is that they have not, none of that. They have no way of processing their grief or of their, or horror of taking somebody else's life or of seeing their friend blown up in front of them or whatever right? They're just like, cool, thank you for your service. Now get back to your opioid addiction. <laughs> right? Like, so that's a, that's a brutal way to treat, to treat a soldier returning from war. And in other times they were treated with honor or even, you know, in the second world war, people came back and there was a ticker tape parade and everyone went, yay. Uh, you know, that kind of thing doesn't exist so much anymore, but also the opposite would have occurred many, many times. You know, your village was raided, everyone was slaughtered and you were kept as a slave. And, and again, the like naturalists say that slavery is an invention of modern times. No, slaves were, slaves have been kept throughout history, even in, even in small scale societies. Okay. And then that, that person lives till they're 22 and one day they're sacrificed to the sun God. All right. That person lived in trauma their entire life. That person was afraid. You know, that person was alone. That person was betrayed. Like they didn't get to... You know, they didn't process their childhood. They didn't stiff up a lift. They just lived in suffering and then they died, right? Also life expectancy. It's like, we now, like you just didn't have a chance to process your shit back in the day, right? If your life expectancy was 20 to 30 something, if you're lucky, okay, you just went day by day. You're in tune with the seasons. You did your thing and then, and then, and then whatever traumas that you experienced in life, you, they just were there and they crippled you in some way and then you died, right? Now, because of lengthier lifetimes and many other reasons but that let's look at that we have way more time to feel the effects of the trauma as it as it calcifies and affects us later in life and we also have more time to and let's say perspective and maturity maybe hopefully to 
to actually heal. And that is important. Stiff upper lipping it in the British sense of just, and you know, not hugging your parents and not dealing with your shit and just being tough about it doesn't create great men, does it? You know what you, you know, your father, right? Or your grandfather or your mate's father, right? Were they great, well-rounded, emotionally mature men? Okay, maybe they were stronger, maybe they were tougher, maybe they worked harder, maybe, yeah? But were, but were they great, great fathers? Were they able to pass on mature, emotionally balanced ways of living to their sons? No, not mine. Not, not almost any client that I've worked with, not almost any of my friends. You know, some of them, yes, some of them, but very few. Those generations didn't, didn't create great men in, in an emotionally intelligent sense. Okay, they may, have, they may have carved out a frontier or built a dam or fought world wars or, or that kind of stuff, which, okay, you know, credit where it's due, but <laughs> they, they, didn't, you know, they didn't necessarily pass on the right kind of love and emotional, emotional growth to their children. And that's what is now your responsibility to deal with, right? It's your burden to deal with. It's your, it is your millstone, right? It is the curse and the gift of this generation. And when I say this generation, I say anyone that's myish age or youngerish, right? I mean, not boomers and, be and before. Actually, even the boomers did all right. Not before, what are they called? The, the invisible generation? I don't know why they called that. Just, just, that was just be because they didn't market generations back then. This is the generation which gets to feel the pain finally, like to acknowledge the pain and decide if they're gonna pass it on. Right, because that is a decision. It wasn't a decision in the past, right? I know my father carried extreme trauma from his father because even though my grandfather was a great grandfather to me, he was a tyrant of a father to my father. And he passed on an inability to hug his children, an inability to be emotionally open. Pride and an arrogance to compensate for an inability to be vulnerable and weak and show emotion, right? He passed that on. And I know his, my great-grandfather, hearing stories of that old cunt, who was, a, who was, who was, a, who was an interesting character. He, was a, he, was, he discovered the biggest gold nugget in Australia, Bison Holtman nugget, he was part of that lease. And he was, he was a multi, multi-millionaire of the time. And he bought what was, what was the equivalent of a Rolls Royce. It was a French car back in 1920-something. Got it shipped over from France and then drove it around the dirt roads of, of Hill End, which is this gold mining town in the middle of nowhere until, it, until he drove it into the dust, and was always a shyster and a hustler and a potty dodge and sheep stealer, and he was always, uh, you know, he was on his deathbed trying to sell go fake gold leases to the nurses, like that kind of character. Interesting, fun, you know, great, great stories about this cunt, but he was not a good father, you know? <laughs> uh, and he passed on pain and it passed on to mine and it passed on to me, right? And that's not just me, that's probably you and almost everyone else, right? Especially when you think about what our poor fucking grand, my, my other grandfather went through the gulag in Siberia. My grandmother on my Hungarian side, 11 members of her family were gassed to death by the Germans, right? They went through hell and they passed it on because how could they not? You know, when they came over as broken migrants to Australia, married Australians who didn't, had no concept of what had happened in the Soviet Union and, and barely had a concept of the Holocaust, they couldn't really help them process it. And so in subtle and other ways, they, they then pass these pains on to the next generations. And that's where we are. We are descendants of champions, 
because we're here. We're the descendants of a long line of men who managed to get their jizz inside a woman and have a baby. Yeah? We are a, a descendants of a long line of men who survived long enough to do that. Whether how they did that by crook or hook or murder or alliances or hiding or however they did it, they survived and they passed those genes on. And we have those genes of champions inside us. Yeah? And we also have all of their flaws, all of their sorrows. Because it's not just genes that get passed on, it's memes, ideas, belief structures, ways of living, body language. You know, all, you know, you, and you see that as you get older, right? You, you don't want to be like your parents. And you swear blind, I will not do, I will not be like my father or my mother in that respect. And then as you start getting older, especially to my age, you start seeing yourself do, moving in a way that I do a, an expression that my mother does. Or I'm like, like, my, uh, <laughs> my father is a forester on the other side of the world. We don't have a great relationship. But I'm, I moved to the other side of the world and then started building a farm modeled very clearly on his forestry techniques. What the fuck am I doing? I mean, I want to do that. I love forests, do I? I'm an environmentalist, am I? Where did I get that from? <laughs> what am I trying to prove? Right? It's absurd. Like, we can't, we can't really escape it, right? We are products, to some degree, we will be products of these genes and these memes that get passed on generation after generation. And pain gets passed on generation after generation, right? I feel the sorrow of the Jews, you know? I feel the sorrow of the gulags. You know, when I think back on my, on my grandfather, like the fucking hell that he went through watching his, watching his father, my great-great-grandfather, being worked to death in a Siberian gulag and then escaping through the Soviet Union, dressing up as a street kid, joining, the, joining both of the armies, constantly on the run to escape the, 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 the worst horror that's happened in, the 20, in, this, in modern history. I feel that. Yeah. I feel it when I sit in ayahuasca, when I sit in meditation retreats, it's there, it's in my genes, it's in my legacy, right? We, this pain gets passed on to us dudes and we will pass it on. You will, right? You will have children at some point, probably. And, and part of that will be passed on if, if you're not conscious of it. And even if, you, even if you are, Right? Even if we are, even even if we do our very best to be those uber parents, we will fuck our children up in some way. Right? It's it's the nature it's the nature of humanity. But we do have a choice about how much we fuck them up. We do have a choice about how unconsciously we do that, or consciously we choose to not do that. Right? I know I have a tendency to explosive, accusatory anger, like my father used to have. He doesn't do it anymore because no one listens to him about it anymore. But it was, he, he did, right? It was this explosive, you're an idiot, right? And I feel that raise as a boss, you know, and because he was always the boss, right? The boss of the company, the boss of the family, whatever he was, he would, uh, he would exert that force because he was smarter and better and whatever and, and, and more capable than everyone else around him, right? And so he had, to, he had to make that known and make people feel stupid whilst trying to get something done. And I, you know, I'm the boss now, isn't that weird? You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm the person that is always leading everything around me. Very rarely do I get to just follow somebody, but mostly I'm leading things. And I have to give people instruction and tell them when they made mistakes. And often when someone fucks something up, I feel that inside me. It's just basically that leg, my father writing me to go, you fucking idiot. And I'm like, I will still get angry. 
you know, I will still, I will still uh, make my position felt, but I will try not to put that accusation on that person because I know the effect that it had on his staff, on his children. I don't want to pass that piece on. And so if I ever have children, I won't ever call them a fucking idiot. You know, I won't, I, I will pull them up on their mistakes. Oh, fuck, who knows? I'm just speculating. <laughs> I would, I would uh, say like this and I would do a bit of, I don't know. But I would hope that I wouldn't pass that piece on, right? And in order to not do that, and this is not just about selflessly looking to the next generation and going, okay, how am I going to save them? It's about how do you save your fucking self, right? First, first. Because as I've said a million times before, if you live for anybody else, you live for your parents, you live for your society, you live for the country. Is there any, I just thought about this other day, is there any other country aside from England and America that have a saying that has God specific to their country? God save the queen and God bless America. Australians don't do that. Germans don't do that, right? There's no like, say it in German. Gost, Gost, he can't even say it because it doesn't even make sense. All right, the Australians don't say, God help them, God, God bless Australia, because it would make most sense. You'd be like, really? God bless this desert? Like, why would he choose this kind of a place? Like, we just came over here because we was convicts and then fucking made the best of it, and stiff up a lip, and then, you know, fucking fucked up our kids. Only Americans and Brits do that, where they, I'm probably, maybe, I don't know, in the Muslim world, I don't know, but I, I'm going to look into that. The idea that the entity that you're doing it for the, 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 the nationalism or pride in something outside of yourself or doing it for a greater cause or whatever is a, is a great thing to do. I don't believe it. I don't believe it for a fucking second. That old thing of like, if I don't stand for something, I'll fall for, for anything is not true. If I stand for one thing, then I've fallen for that one thing is the actual fucking truth. Yes. Instead, I'd rather stand next to a whole bunch of things and start looking at them and going, is that really true? Oh, that, that bit's useful. That bit, not so much. That's how I would suggest doing it. Unless you want to have a life where you never have to question anything and you get to feel really awesome about your decision, then you become a fanatic and, and live with that. So what I'm trying to get to the point, what I'm, I'm clearly not trying to get to a point, but what I'm rambling about here is to say that you have to heal yourself first and you have to make yourself a priority not just your riches and your hustles and your how many instagram followers and did you spend every single minute optimizing to what to what optimize to what to create okay a muscular body yeah cool to uh like make a certain amount of money to like buy stuff that makes you feel you know validated like you know there there has to be a higher purpose but the higher purpose should really be that you get to enjoy your life, right? The higher purpose should be that you get to heal wounds, that you get to, uh, you know, experience joy as well as experience sadness. Don't negate that because, and that's something beautiful that Zan said, there is no beauty without sadness. And someone got in there and said, oh, no, that's not true. It's, uh, you know, humans are essentially joyful. We have the capacity for joy. Life can be, life can be joyful, but it can be, the, it can be combined. There, that's why I allow myself to cry. And I didn't, in the past, I forced myself to not do it. You would never fucking see me cry in public. No woman ever saw me cry. You know, my parents didn't fucking see me cry. I held it in because I was not gonna show weakness, right? I was brutalized as a kid, not physically, but I, you know, I had a shitty childhood and I was not gonna let that, and then I was brutalized by bullies at school and, and physically. <laughs> 
and I was not going to fucking lie down. I was not going to take that. I was not going to be crushed by those fuckers. And so I became tough and weird, tough and weird, and I'm extraordinarily tough in the sense that I keep on seeing, seeming able to get up and move on from things, many things that people would have given up on in the past. Right? But my toughness now is way less important to me. And people are like, you don't look tough. Fuck you. I am tough. You know, I have seen shit. I have been through things you wouldn't believe. Just because I'm not an MMA fighter, and that's the, always the thing. If you, yeah, you want to learn about masculinity, do MMA. Yeah, MMA is a great way to learn how to fight. Yeah. So, when was the last time you cried, man? Seriously, like, write it down. Write it on your phone now. The last time I cried was when somebody died. If it was, it was a TV show, I want to know which one. <laughs> like, really cried. Like, and, and that's a, that, there's, there's, there's a real skill to it, too. Like, I learned how to really cry, actually, in ayahuasca ceremonies. Because what you saw me then, that was a bit of a cry, right? Um... But that's not a real cry. You don't want to. You probably don't want to see it on camera. That would be maybe a bit confronting for you. Uh, the guys who who sit in sat in ceremony with me have seen it. To weep, right? To actually like howl, <laughs> to like cry from your soul. That has to be done at least a number of times in your life, and and hopefully not right at the end. Yeah? Hopefully not just after someone died that you really needed to resolve something with. You know, hopefully not when you have destroyed your own family or your marriage because you could never access your own emotions, right? Hopefully before that, because it is a release valve that humans need. Why do women cry all the time? Because they're, they're smarter emotionally than us. Yeah, they, it's that they, and men are terrified of female tears, right? Like I remember that when I first started having girlfriends and then they would burst into tears. And I'm like, oh shit, I broke her. She's so fragile. You know, this pretty young thing is crying. Oh no, and you'll do anything to stop it. <laughs> men, men are terrified of female tears. Women are not terrified of female tears. It's, it's, it's a release valve. It's like stretching for them, right? It's like, it's like going for a walk. And um, not all. I, I know some women who are way too tough and should cry more. And I know some men who are very weepy and cry all the time. But they, have, they tend to be more real-time real-time present with their emotions and if that involves sadness then they will cry it out right then and that's why women get over breakups better than us dudes they do and at first it looks like you know and sometimes they try and kill themselves and occasionally they succeed but usually not you know they will they will may go through a very dramatic period in a breakup but they you know with lots of crying and, and screaming and and taking pills or whatever they do you know during that period and then they tend to get over it Whereas we don't, I'm not, right? I've been broken up for two years and I'm nowhere near over it because I haven't been able to process it properly. Even though I'm way better than the average man at processing it, processing these kinds of emotions. I do let myself cry, whether it's alone or whether it's in front of people, I just don't give a fuck anymore, I really don't. It's like, judge me. Anyone watches this who thinks I'm a pussy for crying? You fill in the blanks of what I just said there. But I know that there were, there's a lot of guys there. There's, most of you guys watching this will be like, fuck, yeah. Yeah, I need that. And, and, and it's not easy, is it, sometimes? Like, even if you want to, like, you can't even squeeze it out. You know, try it. Try to cry. Try to think of some of the saddest thing, the person that you love the most that died, or your first pet. Don't, oh, no, let's not go on, everyone. Just for a minute, just think about your first cat or dog. Yeah, 
little Mr. Pizhnishki, my first cat, I remember, I remember clearly. And I don't want to think about, don't want to think about it because I'll cry. You know, like, but try it and, and, and see if you can squeeze it out. And then let yourself, like, howl if you can. And do it in an apartment, fuck it, who cares? Who cares? <laughs> you're, stuck in, you're stuck in an apartment with 400 other people in one of those new, new apartments where you can hear everything and the other. Just howl and cry. Just do it. The neighbors will be like, yeah, me too. But maybe, maybe you'll just set off a chain reaction and the whole apartment block will just wail. That would be awesome. That would be so awesome. <laughs> yeah. Because you have to let it out. It's part of the, that is part of humans. You know, why, 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 why are we built for sorrow? You know, why is it wired into us? There's no, there is no human tribe on the planet that doesn't, that is unable to feel sadness. It's not a, it's not a cultural thing, you know, or smiling or happiness, right? These are things that are part of us because however we evolved over, over many millions and millions of years or six days, yeah, could have happened in six days, right? Probably didn't happen in six days. Uh, however we evolved, we evolved to survive, right? So there's nothing inside us. There are mistakes, right? There are, we're, not, we, we're not built perfectly. There are certain things, apparently our knee joints are not built that well for running and, and the spleen, no, is the appendix is, is a mistake. And you know, there's various biological flaws in us, which if we were created by an all-powerful, all-seeing, omnipotent, perfect being, why would he make us with mistakes? Anyway. Let's just say that biology is created through evolution. We have mistakes, but overall we're pretty good, right? We're built to survive and we survive pretty well in almost any scenario. And all of us have the ability and need to cry, to feel love, to feel joy. It's part of our survival mechanisms, guys. It's part of your hustle. It's part of the grind, yeah? If you wanna be effective, efficient, and productive, then you better learn to cry on cue. You better learn to get those minutes in, yeah? 10 minutes a week, or you can pack it all in in the four hour crying week. <laughs> yeah, it's just as important as the hustle. It's just as, poor, just as important as, as positivity. Of course, of course, you can take that too far, right? Of course, it's not great to be chronically depressed. I'm someone who's had depression. I, 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 I'm not a positive person, I don't think. It's weird, it's, I don't understand it, because it's like, I'm a coach of positivity. I act in a positive way. I get positive results. I almost always get what I want. I almost always achieve every goal that I have ever set or close to. At least, you know, I didn't become a famous musician, but I became a good musician and I had a great time being a musician. You know, like I became an entrepreneur. I'm not as rich as I could be, right, Alex? Definitely not. I could definitely have double what I have now but I've got plenty, you know, like I've succeeded in all sorts of ways. And, and I've, and all the things that I did, I made them up, right? There was no, it was no, I didn't go to the Harvard Business School of doing things the, this way and then getting this outcome the other end. I went, I'm gonna start a weird funk band. People like, that's not gonna work. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna start this pickup thing and then move it to Eastern Europe. I'm like, okay, that's not gonna work. I made it work, right? I didn't make it work alone. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, everyone else who's been there with me through thick and thin. I'm not taking full credit for it, but I'm going to take the initial credit and I'm going to take a lot of it. Yeah. And it's like, the weird thing is I'm not a, an optimist. It's weird. I'm, I'm a pessimist in the sense that I, I see that the world is fucking complex and fucked up and there's a lot of evil things going on and there's a lot of things that 
are outside of human control as well. Being a human involves suffering. That's, you know, the old Buddhist saying of all life is suffering. No, not all minutes of all life is suffering. Not every moment is suffering. I'm not suffering right now. I'm sitting in the sun talking to you guys in a really honest way with my friend behind the camera in my forest. This is great, really. And I feel sad at the same time, right? That's the way I succeeded. <laughs> not that I've been sad every single day well, along the way. I've been having all my emotions along the way. Sometimes I did repress them and sometimes you have to. Right? Let me fill, fill you in on a little secret. Nearly two years ago, my girlfriend left me for a good reason. She had a good reason. In the middle of the Euro tour. Right? So it was literally day five of me coaching on the Euro tour. Right? So I arrived back from Prague and she was gone. She was gone, gone. And I screamed in that empty house for five minutes. And then I said, shut it down, Marshall. You've got a job to do. And the next day, you know what I did? I turned up at work. I said, good morning, gentlemen. Feet one and a half shoulder widths apart, spine straight. Feel the sensations on the top of your head. And then I went to work. And no one noticed. Yeah, I, I pulled off the rest of that tour as pro as fuck. And I was broken inside. Yeah, because I had to. Right? Sometimes you just have to. Right? We don't have, always have the luxury of sitting in our pain and wallowing in it or, or processing it. Right? Sometimes we just have to get through the battle. But right now, guys, we've got some time to do that. Some of you don't. Like, and for the guys out there who are fucking on the front line of this, which is, you know, saving people's lives, feeding people, you know, Ubering stuff to people, like... You, you people, maybe you don't have time to process this at all, but when it's over, please take it. Please, please take some time to do that. But for a lot of us, yeah, we do, right? This is not the, this is not the shut it down, suppress it and get through. This is like, okay, cry for a whole day. Complain for a while, even if it's to your cat. Right? Feel frustrated at the things that were taken from you or the opportunities that were lost or the thing that you'd almost... It almost, you had it and then this fucked it for you. Yeah, like there's, there's countless stories like that happening around the world right now. Or for the people that are working at home and are bored and, and isolated and, and they have to do their job but it's like they're not enjoying it, right? It's like, take some time for yourself for healing. And like this, this talk, this video, uh, I didn't plan very well as you can tell but I'm glad it ended up this way. There's, a, there's I, I I actually had a chat with Liam. We were planting some trees, and that's how. And a lot of my a lot of my speeches and Liam's speeches in the past happened from me and Liam riffing the ideas off each other and bouncing them. And so we were doing that earlier today. I was like, I've got an I've got an idea, hustle versus healing, and then we just riffed from there, right? And we had a whole lot. Of, we've got a whole lot of other points that I wanted to cover. But how how long we've we been going for? An hour. So I'm not going to do that right now. I think I will do a follow-up to this video though, and, I, and I want, in that I will get into some more practical, executable action steps on how you can heal your, tra <laughs> your trauma. I want to talk to you about some ways to do that, right? So like, because it's not, a lot of men suck at it, I sucked at it, it took me, I've spent years and years learning how to be better at this, right? Going to the Amazon jungle, going through countless, not my many hours of meditation, speaking to therapists, all that stuff. I've done a lot of stuff to heal myself. So is, you know, my good friend, Sasha. Like guys that, guys that, you, you, will be, you would be surprised by this, I think, that men that actually 
you look up to as, as mentors and that they are the real deal, right? And I am the fucking real deal. I'm as real as it gets. And I'm getting, well, no, I'm getting realer by the day, right? Like, I'm getting rawer and realer because I don't, it's, it's, it's some ways it's liberating, you know? I don't have to, I don't have to be your hero anymore because I don't have to sell workshops. <laughs> it's like, there is a certain amount of truth that just has to be, it's not suppressed, it's just not sh shone because it doesn't sell as much, right? And right now I don't care about selling shit as much. I mean, I do, and I, and I am, like this, I have to sell the Lifestyle Design Academy because I need the money and because it's gonna be fucking good for me, it's gonna keep me sane and it's gonna be fucking good for you too, right? It's gonna be very good because I'm, it won't just be me saying, okay dudes, let's optimize and hustle. It will be that, we will look at effective ways to do that, but I'll be looking at the human side of things too. Okay, how do we, how do we get through this t together and alone uh, as emotional, flawed, and traumatized to greater or lesser degree human beings? Because that's gonna be part of it. It's gonna be a massive part of it. I've met so many people who've succeeded and, and are broken inside. Almost, you know, many men come to me who are very rich and successful and they fucking nailed it in terms of success and accolades and their bodies are jacked and all that stuff and they feel sad all the time. You know, they feel disappointed in life. They feel like there's a hole gaping inside them. And the more they hustle and grind and achieve, it just doesn't, it doesn't do anything else. Once you get past 70K a year, you know, that old thing of like, once you have enough money that money is not the main stress, and I'll never say that, you know, money doesn't mean anything. It's, it's fucking stressful to be broke, for sure. And a lot of people are feeling that now. And, and, and a lot through no fault of their own. It's stressful to have no money, right? But I, once you get over a certain amount of money, which is the like, okay, I'm comfortable amount of money, it has diminishing returns in your happiness for sure, right? There's ways to use money for happiness, and I look at this a lot in the academy. I have a whole module on how to spend money, right? On, on how to actually effectively use money to create freedom and joy, but using it to try and pile on extra accolades and extra um, validation or, or feeling, feelings of, of hierarchies of status, it doesn't fucking work. It doesn't work. You can delude yourself, and some people can delude themselves for an entire lifetime, and they might even become president of the United States whilst doing it. But those people, uh, one fucking Trump, fuck you Trump, you're a piece of shit, dickhead, l fucking what a piece of shit. I'm not saying Hillary is great either, she's a bit, she's old establishment evil as too, but like, for fuck's sake Trump, just get the tests on the country, they need it, they're dying. Anyway, they can go through entire lives and then Maybe, I think someone like Trump is actually insulated. He's gone so far that he will never actually feel the pain. Like maybe even right on his deathbed he'll be tweeting, <laughs> I did the best life ever. Best life ever. Not sad. Uh, he might do that. And there is people like that who, who, who get their entire, like they are so blind to themselves, to their, they are so, have so little self-awareness and, and, and so little, maybe no tools to do that, that they just blunt. Right? I guess you get that way. If you, know, if you, if you kill enough people, I, I presume eventually it becomes, you become numb. Right? If you suppress enough of your emotional responses decade out of def decade, you become numb. And so you don't feel the pain, but you feel something worse. You feel the lack of pain. You feel the lack of sorrow. You feel the lack of joy. You feel the lack of love. Right? Because those things are all part of the same thing. They're part of being human. Thanks guys, I love you.
Thanks so much for listening to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Check us out on YouTube at The Natural TV. See you on the next episode.